0: Oh, hey, Kelly. Let's play a word association game. I'll say a word or phrase, and you respond with whatever pops into your head.
1: Uh, we're supposed to be recording a podcast, but sure, why not?
0: Okay, here we go. Technology.
1: In space. Space. In
0: space. Bond villain scheme.
1: Hijack and nuke.
0: That's what I thought. It's one of the most recognizable tropes in the James Bond franchise.
1: And today, we're going to explore its origin by taking a close look at the novel Moonraker and its cinematic counterpart.
0: So grab your laser gun,
1: or hovercraft a gondola,
0: and launch with us into the discussion as we probe the character of James Bond here in the books,
1: and there in the movies. Part 3, The Atomic Age. The book we're reading is Moonraker, and here's the synopsis from our dossier. As the super-patriot and war veteran who's bankrolling Britain's top-secret moonraker rocket program, Sir Hugo Drax should be above reproach. But there's more to this enigmatic millionaire than he lets on. When M suspects Drax of cheating at cards in an exclusive gentlemen's club, he sends Bond in to investigate. But exposing the deception only enrages Drax, and now 007 must outwit an angry man with the power to loose a nuclear warhead on London. The mysterious death of the head of security at Drax's missile base gives Bond the perfect opportunity to go undercover to find out the secret agenda of the supposed British war hero. With the help of another agent, the illustrious Gay Labrand, 007 learns the truth about Drax's battle scars, his wartime allegiances, and his murderous plans for the deployment of Moonraker.
0: Dun-dun-dun. All right, so, Kelly, what did you think of the book overall?
1: I thought it was really solid. I liked it a lot. Um... I thought it was it was kind of uh it was tense it was a little more psychological in nature there was less i don't know there just seemed to be less actual action in parts, but it was still pretty tense um i I really liked the whole the whole scene at blades when when um you get more of an insight into bond and m s personal relationship, yeah
0: I thought it was a really solid opening scene with the bridge mm-hmm. table and uh and a good way to introduce Drax as a potential villain or good guy. Personally, I never thought Drax was not bad, you know. Yeah. I think anybody reading the book or watching Bond movies, it almost seems silly to try to pretend like the villain's going to be the bad guy because they have to be so over the top, uniquely bad that that we know. Uh, yeah. But it was a really good scene and I've never played Bridge and I was really interested in reading about it, you know, so you take a game with a lot of complex rules and make it interesting. It worked.
1: Exactly. I And, and I guess I, I'd I I'd never associate bridge with something that um, debonair supervillains and spies would play with each other. i just associate it with being played in retirement homes and right. <laughs> at my grandma's right. house. But yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was really tense. I, I actually, I was driving for um, a big portion of one weekend, and so I actually heard part of it on audiobook and then read the rest in in the, oh, yeah. the physical book, and William Nye was was doing the narration, and uh, it, I thought it was so interesting to listen to him voicing Bond. I mean, I would never think he could be Bond if, right. if we were looking at him, but um, anyway, yeah, I just I love that that whole part. I mean, that was a solid third of the book that just didn't get included into the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> well definitely get into the movie too uh i think my main complaint about the book is i couldn't really picture myself in it a lot of the time mm-hmm. i don't know what i don't know if it was because it was a book written so long ago about the technology the new technology of the time but like i didn't i couldn't picture myself in the missile silo half the time i couldn't picture how the moonraker looked mm-hmm. and how it was accessed it almost seemed like it was like a, a tunnel that some people could come in one end and you couldn't see out the other so i was like That was my biggest complaint. Uh, What did you think about the female interest, Gala Brand? She, I thought she was just
1: okay. Um, She was, she was interesting. She, I liked the fact that she was more, she didn't let herself be swept up into Bond's charms as easily. Um, And in fact, I was doing a little research and apparently she's the only quote unquote Bond girl in the, in the entire canon, at least in the books that he doesn't.
0: Sleep, with. Sleep with. Oh, wow, yeah.
1: Which is really interesting. Yeah.
0: I like that she was a powerful character. You know, mm-hmm. she was a policewoman and she was actually part of the government. You know, she was actually an operative instead right. of, you know, in Casino Royale. Where they just threw her in. She was an assistant. They threw her into the action. So... Yeah. it's ironic because they don't get together at the end spoiler alert mm-hmm. but I felt like she was the most appropriate in some ways the most appropriate woman to be with Bond because you right. know she understands the stress of the job and going undercover and they're like on the same playing on the same level and at the very end I, I think it's the last page isn't it of the book <laughs> yes and she's like oh no I'm, I've am i got a boyfriend <laughs> i got a fiance sorry about you.
1: and then the last line is like <laughs> and then they walked out of each other's lives right. I'm like where's the rest like I need more pages <laughs> yeah but, but I totally agree with you that she is on Bond's level. And I.
0: Well, I like how uh, they were brought together by that explosion scene, too. Uh-huh. I thought that was a good way to really bring them together. And we know that trauma can do that to people if mm-hmm. they go through some traumatic experience. And, like, literally their clothes were blown off by this explosion, you know, so they're naked. Right. And it's <laughs> like, okay, this is. I can get into this. Like, right. I can see this happening to me personally. <laughs> but. And then at the end, it's like, no, I'm good. I yeah. got a fiance.
1: Sure. She, uh, I, I didn't like that at all either, the way that all kind of fell apart. Um, but did you find... Th- I, this is sort of... Um, this is playing off what you said just a second ago, but did you think it was odd that in Casino Royale and in Live and Let Die, Bond seemed more chauvinistic? And here I... I don't recall him ever really thinking of her like, "Oh, she's a woman operative." You know, she she. It seemed like she was always treated more like a man from I'd the from that. the beginning. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: So I I don't know if that's a shift in Fleming's own personal perspective, or if that's just Bond was growing as a person, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. and
0: we may see as it as the franchise continues and we continue on with the episodes. Yes. I think my only other big complaint was that at the end, the. Only plan Bond can think of to stop the Moonraker is to kill himself and blow it up and blow everything up and maybe she <laughs> survives and maybe she doesn't. Like there it seems like there's a thousand things you could do to stop this from happening because hadn't Drax already left the facility? Like they had the whole place to themselves and he's like I'm going to go trigger the nuke. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's end it here and now. I, it was just kind of bizarre.
1: Yeah. That and, would...
0: not, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but mm-hmm. I you would think they could just stop it from launching somehow. They could mm-hmm. disable it or something. But
1: yeah. other
0: than that, I thought it was a, pretty, a fairly solid book. I, one of the complaints I'd read about was that it all happens in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, or actually, it all happens in England anyway. And uh, most Bond stories take you to exotic locations. Mm-hmm. The irony here is that I hadn't... Uh, i had known what the book was about when i started reading it i had only seen the movie and i knew it was like james bond in space yeah. so not only does james bond not get to go in space but he doesn't even leave the country you know so as i was reading i was like okay what they're gonna what, what what's gonna be exciting happen here and yeah. really nothing does in terms of that <laughs> yeah. but, uh, anyway any other any other last comments about the book
1: um no not not that i can think of i i really liked it um it, I, I This is, I guess, a segue into the discussion about the movie, but I liked it 1,000 times more than that.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, we'll take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back. This episode of James Bond Here and There is brought to you by Fleming Brand Snappy One-Liners. Espionage just isn't espionage without a lightning quick wit, and now any secret agent can serve up quips with the best of them. Have you just killed a gangster in a car crash? Go with this one.
1: He had a pressing engagement.
0: How about impaling someone with a harpoon gun?
1: I think he got the point.
0: Or maybe you drove a six-inch bolt through a henchman's chest plate. Riveting. That's right. Nothing gives murder that sweet tang like boiling your victim's entire life down to a punchline. Fleming brand snappy one-liners are the cure for what ails ya. Wait for it. Fleming brand products for you. And now, back to the program. Okay, and we're back. I will go ahead and give you a quick synopsis of the movie Moonraker featuring Roger Moore. After a space shuttle called the Moonraker, built by Drax Industries, is hijacked in midair, James Bond is called into action and starts the investigation with Hugo Drax himself. While at the Drax Laboratories, Bond meets the brilliant and stunning Dr. Holly Goodhead. Yes, that's her name. A NASA astronaut (laughs) and CIA agent who is investigating Drax for the U.S. government. One of Drax's thugs, the Sinister Chan, attempts to kill 007 at the lab, but when that fails, he follows Bond to Venice and tries again there. Bond and Goodhead, yes, that's really her name, follow Drax's trail to Brazil, where they once again run into the seven-foot Goliath Jaws, for some reason. (laughs) A towering giant with metal teeth. And in case you didn't know he had metal teeth, they gave you plenty of of opportunities to see them in the movie. Uh, (laughs) Continuing on. Escaping from him, they discover the existence of a huge space station undetected by U.S. or Soviet radar and a horrible plot by Drax to employ nerve gas in a genocidal project. Bond and Holly must quickly find a way to stop Hugo Drax before his horrific plans can be put into effect. So a lot to discuss just from that synopsis and yes. not even having watched the movie. Uh, I was confused by Holly Goodhead's character because at first she's a doctor and then she can fly a spacecraft and I didn't realize she's both a CIA agent and NASA astronaut until I read the synopsis. <laughs> I was like, oh, that makes more sense
1: maybe? Yeah. not. But they really, yeah, they just, I guess they were trying to be like, she has a sexually suggestive Fleming brand name, but she is also an empowered woman because she's a doctor.
0: We can't objectify her. (laughs) Yes.
1: Let's,
0: yeah. So let's make her both. Yeah, that's weird.
1: It somehow makes it worse that they don't explain it because it just makes it more flimsy.
0: Yeah. It's almost belittling. Yeah. Uh, I put together a handy little list of everything that happened in this movie. As I was watching and I thought, isn't this supposed to be a movie about space? And all these things happen before we get to space and then there's some in there. There's a skydiving scene, a knife thrower with decked out coffin, a hovercraft gondola, a cable car lift fight scene, Jaws, lasers, boat chasing ending in a hang glider escape, Jaws finding love, an anaconda attack, and space sex. Yes.
1: It's hard to believe that all of those things could belong in the same movie.
0: Right. And... I can just picture a studio executive like, but we already have the Anaconda queued up. Let's bring in the Anaconda. Roger Moore, let's go. We have all these things planned already. And uh, well, this movie was in response to Star Wars uh, Mm -hmm. because it came out and was hugely successful and they had already scheduled the next one. I forget which movie it was, but they they went and pushed ahead Moonraker in answer to the Star Wars. So Mm -hmm. that's probably why, you know, they probably had all these things set up. And uh, just had to chalk them full. But they don't even get into space until the last third of the movie.
1: Yeah. And, and it's... The, the Drax as Darth Vader comparison is so on the nose. It was horrible, (laughs) yeah. Even his voice is, like, modulated. You can tell. Yeah,
0: when they're they're flying into space and Bond has followed them, you can see him pause and sense Luke's... I mean, James Bond's (laughs) presence, you know, in space. just It was bad. There were some good things, I thought. I liked the parachute scene at the beginning was really well filmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looked really cool uh, for whatever reason it was in there. Yeah. Uh, I liked the musical score I thought the music was really powerful and the and the shots at the space scene I thought they did a good job capturing the epic quality of it mm-hmm. um, that's pretty much all the, the only two good things I can say I don't know do you have any other
1: <laughs> no I do not' <laughs> <Any> I... <laughs> other saving grace here well I will say this um Lois trials... Childs kind of reminded me in both appearance and manner and voice quality of Lauren Bacall and so I was automatically her acting was terrible but she it looked was. so much like her that I just forgave her in my heart right
0: <laughs> the, the acting was really bad it was. especially that very last scene where they're hunting down and millions of people might die and she's like there's <laughs> a thing we have to shoot down bond if you just shoot it down like he don't look distressed at all in this scene yes like and that's hard with sci fi. I mean it really is. I've I've watched some interviews with people who played in Star Trek and they say, you know, it's it's hard to deliver this dialogue realistically. Mm-hmm. And you can just picture her sitting in, you know, a, a little small area and it's not really in space, obviously, you know, it's on a set somewhere and she's having to put mm-hmm. herself in it, but she doesn't do a good job. I mean No. That's your job, you're an actress.
1: And then <laughs> Geezy line at the end where she's like, "Take me around the world one more time, <laughs> like, oh, Lois." <laughs>
0: and, and the queen sees them having you know it's yes, like it gets broadcast course. everywhere naturally silly.
1: It reminded me of that Brosnan movie where uh where what's her name Denise Richards I think and her name is Christmas and they are Dumb. like in the yeah. heat body heat sensing thing and everyone's watching right. and yeah anyway um I really. Oh, watching this and *Live and Let Die*, Roger Moore is definitely my least favorite Bond. I—he just seems like so much more of a cad than any of the rest of them. He's like so, such a smug bastard, you know?
0: He—well, <laughs> tell us how you really feel, <laughs> yeah, Kelly. I
1: know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just have to say it because he just like—okay, that woman of art, she was so inconsequential to the plot that I've already forgotten yeah, who she first, was. Yeah, the first, yeah. And she like comes out in her negligee, and he's gone over to quote unquote get information. And he even tells her he's like, "I'm only here for information." And she's like, "Well, why would I tell you that?" And and he just looks at her and he's like, right. "Why, indeed?" <laughs> <laughs> and then kisses. Wait, Okay, out. I'll tell
0: you. Let's like, have sex afterwards. Uh, yeah. And there was no lead up to that. No. There was no romance there at all. Like they flew in a plane together, and then she's in a negligee. Like what's I'm, happening here? I know. And then, like I get your bond. Like but you can't just. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just film it and say hey he's Bond look at these women throwing themselves like he has to say something debonair
1: exactly anyway, and then she yeah. has to go and get eaten by Dobermans afterwards right, and I just... right.
0: which was kind of a moving scene too Yes. But I didn't feel for her because the character was completely inconsequential she was yeah.
1: It. I I just I don't know what it is exactly about Roger Moore's mannerism or what I, I, I truly well, it's funny. don't know, I would but... not
0: have agreed with you before we started this but I do I don't really like him that much in these mm-hmm. movies. He he does seem to take a lot for granted. And at least the character does. I don't know if that's Roger. I've heard good things about him on set before. Mm-hmm. I I know one of the women he filmed said he was a gentleman and they were doing a nude scene and he waited and held her until they brought a blanket to put over her and stuff. Oh, but nice. But yeah, Classy. in the movies he comes off very like he does come off kind of a snotty character.
1: he does he just he plays it a different way than the rest. Right. And I don't know what I mean, some of the like Connery, Daniel Craig, even Timothy Dalton, you could you just they're a little more they were still roguish, but they're just less icky, I don't know something about yeah, it. yeah, I get it.
0: yeah., uh, I feel like this movie didn't do any of a better job dealing with Drax than the book did. Because I never thought, like I said, I never really thought, felt he could be a good guy in the book. But in this movie, like, there's almost no development to him at all. Right. They mention at the very beginning that he's so rich, and whatever he doesn't buy, he doesn't want to own. And but then, and then by the end, we don't really see much of him at all. And there's not a lot of time between him and Bond together in the in the movies either. It's like a few seconds, and then they separate. He tells them their plan at one point, but that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, and he just. He it's weird that he lets him snoop around in his house, but then is like, oh, I'm going to kill you. But he he really doesn't, I don't know, it's just bizarre. And the cheesy Asian henchman that's yeah. following him. Uh... Hey,
0: now I'm sure Chan is a very appropriate name for it. <laughs> yeah, that was silly too. Yeah. Uh, okay, the last thing we have to talk about is Jaws and love. Yes!
1: Oh my gosh!
0: I'm happy for Jaws, though. I am happy for him.
1: He. Oh man, you're so right about it. Every, how many times does he smile and like show those chompers? <laughs> yeah. it's... Oh
0: right, his teeth are metal. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding. <laughs> right. Us.
1: And when. Oh my gosh!
0: It, what, it was <laughs> so, How <laughs> weird was it though? <laughs> it was
1: really weird. There's this whole
0: cable ski lift scene, fight scene, and he like crashes into a building, and this this blonde short. <laughs> Girl in pigtails comes innocently up to him and smiles at him.
1: Yes, it's like the theme from A Summer Place <laughs> plays. <laughs> and then right, they're and in their love. love.
0: It was so bizarre. <sighs> and uh, yeah. I expected her to have braces. That would have been funny if she had had braces on, right? I yes. think that was a missed opportunity.
1: It totally was because I had the exact same thought. She was opening her mouth and I was like, oh, right. here they it's come. Here they oh, go. no. It, oh, and how, this wasn't a part of him falling in love, but I did laugh when... When uh, he was in the alleyway. I forget if he was attacking Holly Goodhead or Bond, but he was attacking somebody. And he was thwarted by people, like, dancing him out right. of the way. <laughs> right,
0: That was a weird scene. It was so and she was holding on And he was still holding on to her, like, trying to crush her, but pretending he was dancing awkwardly. And she was just kind of standing there looking to... Instead of yelling for help, she was just standing there. It was really weird.
1: Yeah. This... Uh, one thing I
0: have to mention is when they edited the pigeon during the... During the gondola scene, they oh edited gosh. the pigeon to make it look like he did a double take.
1: Yes. How have like we not too. talked about the hover gondola that uh, thing? That thing was amazing. There's really not much to say. It's a <laughs> just, hover gondola. Just that it was
0: there. Right. right. It was in it's the movie. Like, huh.
1: And then the, ca- the casket. Oh. How they just... It was perfectly timed for the other boat right. to be passing right by.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Oh, so All good. right. So... We have to ask, who did it better, the movie or the book? <laughs> I'm going to say book. Movie. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, Mark, Mark no, sure. deep friend. I'd much rather read the book again than watch the movie. Yes. And on that note, we will end for today, and we will see you next time where we'll be looking at the movie Diamonds Are Forever and the book. And we have a new Twitter tag. You can reach us on Twitter at there Series.
1: And also on itsjustawesome.com. You can also check us out on iTunes.
0: Thanks, guys.